Number two is wisdom in the supreme mathematics. Wisdom represents the woman, and it also represents um, a wise dome. When one is um, obtained knowledge, they speak with a wise tongue. So wisdom represents the acquirement of knowledge. My grandfather came to join the Nation of Islam through my grandmother and my great-grandmother, who were members of the Nation of Islam before he was. My grandfather served in the Korean War, which was in the early 1950s. Um, I think he was out there for maybe two years to three years. You know, he had earned combat medals for bravery. I think he learned martial arts when he was over there. And, you know, upon his return home, my mother and my great-grandmother already had converted to um, Islam by joining the Nation of Islam. When he came home, I think, you know, he was still eating pork, and, you know, he probably was in the house making him something to eat. My grandmother and him probably was at the temple number seven. So when she got in the house with the kids, she probably just smelt, you know, the pork. I remember she telling me that, you know, she told him that they don't eat pork no more in the house. So, like, you know, I guess she, he was permitted to have his pork chops for that last time. But after that, he wasn't supposed to bring no more pork in the house because her nor the kids ate it anymore. So, you know, I guess they had one of those little marital spats for, for that evening. And then my grandmother actually just took him to the mosque one day. She just, one day, she got up. And um, I think he was. I think he was just in the house, like doing like little, little ins and outs around the house or whatever. So I guess I think my grandmother said she asked him, "Was he busy that day? Like, put you busy?" And he was like, "Nah, I'm not busy." You know. And she was like, right, "I want you to come somewhere with me." And she took him down to the temple number seven. She said it was someone in there speaking. I don't think it was um, Minister Malcolm, but it was someone they were speaking and. What they was talking about, I think my grandfather related to, as far as the uh, social climate that was going on in the country, the economic climate, you know, just bottom line, you know, the quality of life overall in inner cities and the black communities was like, you had some people that was able to, you know, like be professionals and make a living wage. And then you had a lot of people that was just like, strung by the waistline, you know, so it, it was a lot of it was a lot of social consciousness going on at that time. A lot of people was waking up as far as, you know, just economically, civically, you know, and just being responsible for their community, you know, not so much of what they need from someone else, but just being self-sufficient and responsible. And that was like a that was that, I think that was like the thing that drew him to the nation of Islam. Just seeing what average black people, you know, in in the neighborhood was going through, and then being able to relate it to itself as far as like you know what he went and saw off in Korea, and then to come back home and see it, you know, firsthand like mm -hmm. the conditions that you know his family was living in, some of his friends. So, you know, I think that definitely stirred them towards the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. When he came, he only added on what he learned in the service to the Nation of Islam. You know, as far as, you know, training the fruit of Islam or teaching um, martial arts or combat training, you know, so these are very disciplined skills that you have to learn. And, you know, 
with any growing organization, you need that type of discipline. So I, I think he was kind of like perfect for that type of environment, you know, because he was a thinker, you know, he was a he was a speaker, you know. So I was taught the lessons by my grandmother growing up. I never met my grandfather. You know, he was deceased before I was born. My grandmother was like the best teacher I ever known in my life. I think that's why I kind of didn't like some of my teachers growing up, because I already had a, like a master teacher in my house. She was she was the type of grandmother that studied her children and she studied her grandchildren. So she kind of knew you or knew what was different from you from your siblings or what you like or what you didn't like or what you might have liked. She used to ask me questions sometimes. She'd ask me a question, and I'll probably look strangely at her like I didn't know what she was talking about. And then she would further elaborate it. Once I got the handle of that first question, and she'd ask me again, and I knew the correct answer, and she'd go into the second question. So she knew how to take baby steps with me and walk me through it. And before I knew it, I was studying the lessons, you know. I'd be in the, the house restless, a boy, you know, full of energy, bouncing off the walls. And she'd go, go in, the reading, go in the room and get the lessons out the um, dresser and sit down and study your lessons. So, I would, you know, I would study and then I'd come back and ask her questions. One of the most controversial lessons or actual degrees in the lessons are that the white man or the white man is a devil. And it's more figurative than literal. A person to read that and automatically think, um, this is racism or this is like um, some anti-white. When the whole time frame of our existence in this country, we were the ones that were battered and sold and whipped and forced to work and treated so inhumanely. How can you argue that they're not devils? Seriously. Think about the treatment that they inflicted on another human being. I had to really, at a certain age, understand and grasp the, the, the lesson that it was teaching. It wasn't saying to run outside and call all white people devils, but it was talking about the nature of a person that could inflict so much pain and wickedness upon another human being. For another person to want to instill so much fear and hurt and, and torture and torment to someone else, that's, a, that's a something wicked and something devilish. And they track record is, you know, upholding that statement. So I, I find the truth in that lesson. I'm not saying all, but I find the truth in that lesson. My grandmother did play a role and did not inadvertently play a role. You know, when my grandfather was alive, you know, the Nation of Gods and Earths, that was his baby. My grandmother was always a member of the Nation of Islam. To the day she died, she was... Uh, nation of Islam sister what my grandfather did with that nation that was his own thing and my grandmother respected it you know she respected whatever he did and that was her husband you know but they could beg to differ or disagree you know like she knew the lessons just as well as he knew them as far as her immediate role was pretty much after he was assassinated after he was murdered 
And she probably did it with, like, a long rope. She didn't, like, have her hands involved the day-to-day operation, but she probably doled out obligations for people to handle things, and they had to report back to her. I think her spirit and her will wanted the nation to keep growing, you know, seriously, because she knew a lot of the young guards. Like, she raised a lot of them growing up in the projects, just being a mother, you know. Sometimes you see kids, they go through rough times, and, you know, you might take them in, give them a meal, a hot bath. My grandmother did that a lot. So it was a lot of kids that, you know, she was she was a, a, a motherly type of mother. Her role in the nation was actually bringing him to the nation of Islam. So uh, a lot of God bodies, whether they want to dispute this, and we could dispute it because I know the history. It's my history. It's my family history. I know it. Without my grandmother, there wouldn't probably be any gods or earths. Technically. Actually and factually. You know, the people that know her, know my grandfather, know the history, you know, they give her the utmost respect. You know, as far as who she who she is and the role she played in his life. You have a lot of older gods, like, and they all then had, like, these interviews on YouTube, and a lot of things were said about, you know, why my grandfather left the nation, that he was expelled, that he hit my grandmother. False. None of that is true. My grandfather never abused my grandmother or hit my grandmother. In fact, my grandmother used to beat on him. She would put her hands on him, and he wouldn't do nothing, you know, so... That was that was false. My grandfather wouldn't allow another man to hit a woman in front of him, regardless to color or, you know, whatever it was. You know, he just felt like a man shouldn't strike a woman, period. That one particular reason, that's false. I think after my grandfather was murdered, my grandmother never really wanted no official role because it was painful to her, you know. Like, you got to think about this. I thought about it, too. You know, when if you love someone with you know all your heart and you share life with them you have babies for them you know you have children with them you know the bond that y'all have is not replaceable you know that's a a a lifetime bond at times the people said that my grandmother and grandfather was um estranged or separated or i mean every marriage has its ups and downs so a lot of things that was put out there that people said they were false you know I know my grandmother loved my grandfather unequivocally, you know, because she always kind of felt and relived that pain, you know, from the time that, you know, he was murdered and he was taken away from his family. So to be the woman that brought him to the nation of Islam and then ultimately he would lose his life, you know, that was a lot on her. I I never had a chance to ask my grandmother about it you know, in that way. It took me time to get older and realize it after, you know, I have children and, you know, I've been in love and, you know, I experienced loss and, you know, it's a question that takes time to even manifest, you know. It's not a question that you just could pop up off the head. But after my grandfather died, she always made sure that the school was there and, you know, that the, the brothers that was up there supposed to be running the school and doing right was doing what they were supposed to do and just keep in contact with us. So as far as that go, I don't, you know, I was I was young. So I didn't really have too much input in that. And then, like, my mother and my grandmother, my great-grandmother, they kind of kept us away because they never wanted us 
to be in any type of political arena, you know, the grandchildren, because it's all boys, you know. It's like maybe two girls out of like seven, seven or eight boys. So I think my parents and grandparents made that a point to be like, you know, keep the kids away from all that. You know, we see we, we, we see the outcome of what happened, so, you know, we got to protect the babies. So they kept us away from that. When me and my brothers and my cousins were, like, in our late teenage years, early 20s, becoming young men, young adults, and my grandmother would go to Parliament. She would go to the rally sometimes, like, you know, just to be there for just uh, the family aura of, you know, having... Allah's wife at the parliament, you know, like keeping his legacy alive as far as, you know, everything is still intact. From the day he left, the nation, his wife, everything is still intact. So when we used to go up there, they have a security detail that, you know, screen everybody when they come in so there's no weapons inside the building or whatever. So that's understandable, you know. But at the same time, you know, I'm bringing my grandmother to this place, which is a public space. So, you know, we did our own security for my grandmother. You know, we wasn't relying on no one, you know, because at the end of the day, my grandfather traveled by himself. He didn't, like, take the younger guards with him certain places. Like, he never did that. Like, if he was at the school and he was teaching and, you know, they was holding a rally in the park at Mount Morris, you know, he had gathered them all together and, you know, he would... Uh, talk to them about whatever he needed to talk to them about. As far as any of his personal dealings, he wouldn't handle stuff on his own. Like, when he went to City Hall to see the mayor or whatever, he went by himself. If he had someone with him, it was probably his uh, his close friend Justice, or, like, he'd be with um, Barry Garpa or something like that. Like, he would be with one of the mayor's aides or something like that. But he pretty much would conduct stuff by himself on his own. When he was assassinated, he was by himself, you know, so after he was killed, you know, like, just, it's a natural feeling for us. His offspring, his his baby's babies, to want to protect our grandmother, because we still don't know who killed him to this day, so it could be anyone. It could be the person standing next to us in the parliament, you know, like, you never know. And, I mean, these truths will come out, but it might be on someone's deathbed or something. You know, like, this is a long time ago. These people are old now, you know? My relationship with my grandmother and my my great-grandmother, and as well as my mother and my aunts and my uncles, like, our family was very close-knit. And it was close-knit due to the circumstances surrounding, you know, my grandfather's murder because no one ever was apprehended or no one was ever caught. It was just always a bad taste, you know, left after, especially for my grandmother and my mother and her siblings, you know. They witnessed all of it. My grandmother is like, well, my great-grandmother is the matriarch. She was the top number one, then came my grandmother and my aunt. They was like number two equally. And after that was my mother and my aunts and my uncles. Everything came from the top on down. If my great-grandmother wanted our hairs cut, like we need haircuts, she said, they, them boys need haircuts when we get haircuts. You know, like it was like that, like that type of thing. 
in most black households, you know, it's like, you know, you have the grandmother, the mother, and then you have the grandchild. So, you know, the grandmother still calls the shots. A lot of the um, older guard bodies, um, they actually, you know, have a lot of love and admiration for my grandmother. Seriously. Like, you know, the ones that did keep in contact and came by to see her, and I could pretty much name them. I know those guards, you know. As far as, like, a lot of the older guards that still was running the school and stuff like that, here it is, you know, that's a hit or miss. Because some of them know me since I was a child, you know. They know my mother, my grandmother, like, they, you know, obviously they knew my grandfather, but, you know, that's a really a hit or miss. Mostly the guards that came to see my grandmother were the guards from Medina, the Brooklyn guard bodies. I mean, on schedule, like clockwork, they would come once, twice, three times a week. And just to say hello, they'd pull up if my grandmother needed anything. And she never needed much. You know, she was that type of female. Like, she was good. But they they was always there, you know, whether it was just to come and talk and, you know, just to just to come see her. You know, I used to hear, I used to have really have people knock on the door like, is, is you know, is Queen Dora here? You know, I just want to say hello. And she will welcome them in, you know, like, let them in. And, you know, and they sit there, chat for like 15, 20 minutes, and, you know. And I used to see the smile and the look on their face when they used to leave. It, it really meant something to them. They really got something out of it wholeheartedly, you know, like. And, you know, that made me respect a lot of the older guards in a different way. You know, the ones that I've seen that are really genuine you know it wasn't even a fact that they had to do anything for my grandmother she got a bunch of grandsons we do whatever she want us to do but they still made an effort out of their day or out of their week and they came and they saw her and they sat down and they spoke and talked to her like a, a son will come and see his mother and she's not physically their mother but they come and embrace her and love her as a mother, and she gives that love back, you know. So that's what I've seen that my grandfather and my grandmother ultimately had over a lot of children. And if you see how I am in the neighborhood, when I go places, all the kids know me. I know all the young people. So, you know, I think that's like a family trait, you know. Like um, you, you still have your connection to the youth. You still have your connection to your youth when you're connected to the youth. You know, even though we grow up and we got to be adults, it's still an inner child in you that want to break out every now and then and be like, ah, I want to have fun. I must have been about five years old. And um, I fell asleep in my grandmother's bed. At the time, we lived in Brooklyn. We was living at 360 Franklin Avenue, apartment 3R, which was my childhood residence where I lived at, which... I grew up at to my adulthood. It was a late night, and um, I'm in the bed with my grandmother. You know, like I slept with my grandmother a lot in my childhood. Like that was like my safety blanket, my go-to. You know, get in the bed with Grinnisky, I'm good. So um, I woke up in the middle of the night one night, and um, I I seen I seen. Uh, image, I seen something in the doorway. And it scared me because it was it, it was bright, but it wasn't like 
it was like a glow. It was like something bright glowing, but it 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 it, it wasn't like scary or like on some like trying to get me, but it was looking at me. And I shook my grandmother. I said, Grandma, Grandma, you know, something, something at the door. And I think she peeked and she said, uh, boy, lay down. And I said, Grandma, what the, what is that? She said, that's just your grandfather. He's just looking over you. He just look, he's just watching over you right now. Go back to sleep, don't worry about it. And I went back to sleep. When I got up in the morning, I wanted to say something to my grandmother, but I didn't. I just, you know, I left the conversation alone. And, but I spoke to her years later about it. Like, years later, I said, Grandma, remember I woke you up and I seen someone in the doorway? And I was like, Grandma, who the hell is that? And you was like, that's your grandfather, boy. Go back to sleep. He's just staring at you. That was weird that I shared that moment with my grandmother. And she wasn't even scared or startled about it. She kind of calmed me. And I, I've, I never, in, in my entirety living in that house, that was one time that happened, and I never experienced it again, and I never felt scared in my house. Never. I never felt scared in that house. I always felt safe and comfortable, and I would pass out in my, in my grandmother's house like a pile of bricks. Yeah.